Yo, yo, what's up? This is Rafael Barlow with my guest. Well, he's not even a guest. My co-host, Leif Tulin. And in this episode, Leif gives us some insight on his big boy, which has some surprises with Jabari Smith at number four. Stay tuned. Shout out to each and every person that has made the NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Really, really, really appreciate it. Um, it's and I, I'm assuming I speak for for my other co-hosts. This is like a dream come true to be able to talk basketball and NBA draft on such a platform. So wanted to thank each and every person for just for making this this podcast a success and making it your first listen of the day. All right, I I, I can't wait to hear what Leaf has to say in this episode a couple of days ago maybe it was yeah a couple of days ago he released his his big board on his twitter account and you know like most big boards it's, it's all about your opinion but it, well, something that stood out to me was he had chat number one which is not something that stands out Paolo number two which is you know common Jaden ivy number three but jabari smith number four who i think jabari smith is like social media's favorite to go number one so that was kind of a long intro. Leaf, first of all, how are you doing? And then you got to explain why you have Jabari number four. I'm doing great. I uh, I spent some some hours a few days ago trying to put put together my big board. I've been working on it for a long time. And as a college basketball fan, I think it was good for me to take a break and not rank while being influenced by players like and their teams. Yeah. And just watching the film. And I think my opinions have changed a little bit. So I wanted to release one that I felt like was fresh and not influenced by my college basketball loving self. And I think that is where my pick of Jabari at four or not pick, but uh, my ranking of Jabari at four um, differed from where I, what I saw during the college season. What I saw during the college season was the best shooting big man or relatively big man in college basketball. He was solid defensively. And he at the time was on a team that was, um, top five in the nation for most of the year. I think when I differentiate myself from the love of like what he brings to the table, and I, you can quote me from back to episodes with Richard on locked on NBA draft. Uh, we, I, I talked about how Jabari was my number one at that certain point. So yes, I can, I can get behind getting a, be called hypocritical, but that said my rationale is Jabari has the hardest time becoming a superstar. If you want in your top four picks, what are you looking for? You're looking for a franchise game-changing prospect. Jabari Smith could be that. And I don't want to insult his potential of being that. I just think the other three guys, Chet Holmgren, Paolo Bancaro, and Jade Nivey have more potential to become superstars. And rather than knock what Jabari can do, I think this is a compliment and a testament to what the other three players can do at a potentially higher NBA level, which means superstar as opposed to all-star. Man, you said a lot there, and um, I don't even know where to begin. Let, let, let's start with the part about not being influenced by college basketball. And I think that there are people who underestimate how much that has an influence in a sense. Like if you... Just start all over, start from scratch and watch film. I think most people's list will change. I wonder how many guys that are putting out big boards are actually starting from scratch and and watching it as opposed to just sticking with their guns who they had number one during the season. And was that difficult for you to 
just kind of stop being influenced by what you're, you know, like the games are watching live or just kind of seeing like highlights from one game. Was that kind of difficult for you? Absolutely. And I'm testing this out because often uh, I would watch unbelievable amounts of college basketball live and then watch just certain players that I wanted my, my team, the Utah jazz to take. And then I'd have re I'd reassess those players, but most of the top of my big board, I wouldn't go back and watch too much film. I just kind of trust what I saw for the entire year. And I, I'm curious to see if this process, and obviously it's a one-time thing um, as opposed to previous years will be, which one will be more successful. And obviously time will tell. Um, but I, but I am excited and I do think it was refreshing to get a new, I would say less tainted view and a holistic view of a prospect. And like the difficulty in that is sometimes you can end up overthinking. And I I felt like I did that in 2020 because it was such a long draft process that I started to overlook guys and, um, you know, just kind of start picking more so at flaws as opposed to what, what, what they do well. So that was a learning, a learning point for me. All right. The next thing that you, you mentioned, about uh jabari was you you did make it clear that you are a fan this is not about you disliking him but the part about him being like an all-star as opposed to a franchise changer in a sense can you elaborate on that yeah i think jabari is less and chet uh, is also not ball dominant but jabari won't necessarily be the guy for you to build your team around and i think you could make a case that ivy you can build your team around you can make your case that paulo bancaro you can build your team around and say here's here's the ball go get us 25 and then they they'll do it differently paulo and ivy obviously playing different positions but they'll be the what your franchise revolves around if they pan out uh jabari to me seems like a complimentary star and a guy i don't have a perfect comparison but he kind of reminds me of richard lewis yeah in the sense funny. that he, i was thinking he, the same thing that he can shoot on pick and pop he could isolate he can get you 25 but i don't think that necessary that skill set is fully maximized without a guy who's got the ball in his hands more whereas the other two ivy and ben Carroll and chet's a whole different story uh due to his unique talents um i don't think jabari's talents are as in today's NBA, as able to be mag, uh, maxif- um, maximized or magnified, I couldn't decide which one to say there, um, mixed them in there. Um, but yeah, I, I, I don't think his skill set is as easy to make apparent and build around if you're a roster in today's NBA, which is so stretch for built, which I know he is, but it sounds counterintuitive, but that's my take on it. This could turn out to be a whole Jabari Smith episode. All right. So my, my next question for you is what, in your opinion, is the difference between Holmgren and Smith? Like one, you have number one, the other you have number four. What is the biggest difference in your opinion? I think that Chet is so unique defensively that he can alter the way a way a franchise plays one side of the ball. And if his offense pans out, and I'm not even saying becomes a star offensively, but if he's able to score 15, 16 points a game, he can change the whole way your defense plays and be a supplementary scorer. And I think the value of that is, is apparent. He can switch one through five and protect the rim at an elite level. And I really do think that Jabari scores, but the scoring that he does is less important than the franchise altering defensive backbone that Chet would be. All right. This is why I, I really enjoy speaking with you because I feel like your answer towards Chet 
has some relation to being a Utah Jazz fan where you have seen up close and personal how one defender can impact everybody around him. So are you looking at that from the lens of you seeing Gobert change the whole deep, how teams, you know, how they run their offense, how the Jazz defend? Are you seeing Holmgren as that potentially that type of defender? I think they do it differently, but I think the premise that I'm coming from is, is based off that notion that Gobert is the Jazz's defense. Like he is the structure of the Jazz's defense. I think Chet could be that for a team, but he could do it differently in a more modern facet. And I think Evan Mobley, Bam Adebayo are common comparisons to Chet. I don't think either of those two are one-to-ones with Chet, but uh, he, he could protect the rim at an unbelievable level and he's got the capacity to slide his feet. And I think that his basketball, that the brand of basketball that I can envision him playing pretty easily is what the modern NBA is transitioning into. And I see the value of one player making up the identity of a defense in Rudy Gobert. And I think Evan Mobley, obviously they had Jared Allen as well. So that was kind of a unique situation. But I think Evan Mobley could be an example of that if he were to be ISO at a center because um, Jared Allen missed time. And I think you you make a backbone of a defense and you score 15 points a game. I think that's worthwhile as a top tier pick. And that, that said, Rudy Gobert, your example there, not that you were comparing the two. He's been a all, all NBA player multiple times. And I think Chet has a path. I'm not sure he will achieve that, but he has a pathway to do so. All right. Before I get into my next round of questions, I have to talk to you about what happened to me earlier today. I got a notification on my phone that I had received a package in the mail the first thing I did was ask my wife, did you order something? She says no, but we are expecting a bassinet for our baby that is due this this summer. So I run down to go get the, the mail and I'm, I'm expecting to pick up a big box and bring it to the apartment. And it was a small box. And I wonder, what is this? Then I opened the box and it was the Built Bar Puffs. So on one hand, I was disappointed that it wasn't the bassinet that we ordered. But on the other hand, I was excited to receive my Built Bar Puffs. And if you're probably wondering, like, what is a Built Bar Puff? And I, I guess the best way to describe it is imagine dipping your finger into a plastic tub of birthday cake frosting. And then when you open your eyes and you realize that this frosting was only 150 calories and 16 grams of protein. That is what it is like to eat a birthday cake puff from Built Bar. I just received mine. And I have never had anything like it before. They're available right now. We can't promise you that they'll be there tomorrow. So go get them today at built.com. Now, if you haven't tried the puffs, I'll let you in on a little secret because that's just what friends do. It is a chocolate covered marshmallow protein bar. Yes, you heard me correctly. It is a delicious flavored marshmallow that is covered with 100% real chocolate. So you can make every day your birthday with Built Bar's birthday cake puffs. Built has taken the delicious experience of biting into a fresh slice of birthday cake. And then they made it where it's 100% white chocolate and added sprinkles. And it is only 150 calories, 16 grams of protein, 9 grams of sugar. This limited flavor is an amazing option if you are looking for a healthy way to get flavor and variety in your day. And again, all the Built Bar Puffs are 100% chocolate. That means with Built, you can eat healthy and actually enjoy doing it. 
and they are made with collagen protein, which your body absorbs more efficiently and provides tons of health benefits. So go to Built.com, get the birthday cake puffs right now. Go to Built.com, and if you use the promo code LOCKED15, you will get 15% off your next order. Promo code LOCKED15, and you will get 15% off at Built.com. All right, once again, this is Raphael Barlow. Got my guest, Leaf Tulane. And so far, we spent the whole first segment talking about Jabari Smith. And I have more questions to ask about Jabari Smith. All right. So you have him at number four, which is the lowest that I've seen. So, I mean, you're, you're, you got big nuts here, in, in a sense, big guts, I should say, to post him number four. And especially you posted on Twitter, where, you know, um, Twitter is like Jabari is like, He's probably like the guy that is consistently ranked number two at the lowest. So, again, this is the lowest that, that I've seen him. So what are your biggest concerns about him offensively? Is it the fact that you think that he needs someone to create for him? I think that is my biggest concern in the sense that if you're taking someone in the top three, top four, you want them to be the guy. And I, I think I if, agree. 100, and, sorry to cut you off. I agree 100 percent because when i look at a franchise guy i'm thinking like or or, or top three guy and i guess it can depend on the draft if it's it's not a strong draft then you may understand like okay this guy may not be a franchise guy he's the best player available in this draft he's going to be a good complimentary player but i think this is a pretty good draft and so when i look at a guy that i'm going to take number one or number two i want a guy that i feel like i can give him the ball and say hey go go get me a bucket so I, I think we're on the same page there. Yeah, I, I mean, that is the m- main reason I, I could poke f- holes into his game that are extremely minute. Like, I, I think that he he scores going left and going right. He doesn't – I mean, he goes into his jumper going left, going right. He doesn't really dribble into the paint very often. I think those are fixable. So I don't really care about those. But my whole reason for having a, f- a concern about his offensive game is not that I have, I'm concerned about his offensive game. It's, it's that I'm concerned that he's not the franchise altering offensive talent that uh, you would pick in the top three or franchise alter- altering player, I should say, because he is extremely offensively talented. Yes. Yes. The, and the Rashard Lewis comparison, I, I think is, is pretty accurate. You know, you, I mean, if you look back at it, Rashard Lewis was kind of ahead of his time in a sense, because especially with that Orlando team when he was playing with Dwight and even though Dwight was considered the franchise guy and he was, you know, got all the headlines, I think it was Richard and, and, and Haydu that kind of made that offense go because it gave Dwight the spacing that he needed to be able to, to operate. Now, do you think that Jabari is like a better ball handler than Richard Smith in a sense? I'm sorry, than Richard, Richard Lewis? I think he's more accustomed, at least early. Like as soon as he enters the NBA, he's more accustomed to the role he'll have than Rashard Lewis was when he began. Uh, kind of, he pioneered the stretch four almost. I, I think he'll be adept with it. But I, people poke holes in Jabari's ball handling. It's because it's not flashy. Like Paolo Bancaro's got a better handle, and that doesn't necessarily be, d- deter me from picking Jabari over Paolo. What does is the fact that. Uh, Jabari doesn't necessarily create the space or the passing out of his isolations. He's this pure scorer. And I think that if they had a player such as, I mean, I think we've talked about this before. If you gave him a Josh Giddy, if you gave him a uh, Jabari, this is a Josh Giddy. If you gave him a Cade Cunningham and you have one of those top three, top four picks, 
I am all aboard that train. I'm just saying from a big board talent perspective, I think those guys alter um, your franchise more if you make him the top option. I think Jabari's limitation is he may have to be a second option. And, and regarding the handle, I'm not concerned by it. I think functional handle is fine with me. You don't have to be flashy. All right, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. So Jabari looks good this season, and many have complained about his lack of guard play. Now, do you think with a dynamic point guard in the NBA that he could end up being like a franchise guy if he has the right setup man? Oh, absolutely. I, I think he's got the capacity to get there. I think he's more dependent than the other players. Um, I would love to see him play with Josh Giddy and Shea Gilgis-Alexander. Um, that's kind of personally my favorite uh, fit. Obviously, Cade Cunningham would be a very good point guard to have as, as well. Um, but I, I, I can see it. I, I have no problem with that. And, and it's funny because once Richard sees this, Richard Stamen, that is Mavs draft, He's going he's gonna to kill me for it because I was tooting the Jabari horn before the season began for the SEC. I said he's SEC player of the year. He didn't actually win it, but I felt smart when I said it. And uh, I love Jabari. So this is, this is funny kind of playing devil's advocate for myself seven, eight months ago. I mean, we, we all should be able to change our mind. Only thing is when you change your mind with a platform, it's not, <laughs> it's, it's not forgotten. It, it can be excess easily to someone and, and they can can always bring it up i i, I know um you know i mean i can i can think of times I, you know I, I give you an example this is not related to the draft but like last week i said that chris paul was the best 37 year old player in the country it's kind of like well in the world and then he's just had like more turnovers than buckets ever since then but i tweeted it so it's out there and of course lebron fans are are you know on my head uh, about that particular comment. All right. So Jaden Ivy. So, uh, I mean, we talked about it a little bit, I guess I kind of know the answer here, but do you feel more comfortable with taking a, a guard over, over Jabari? Is it because you feel like Ivy can create his own offense? Is that the difference there? You know, that's the part where I had the hardest time with this big board was whether I go with Ivy or Jabari at three. I think I made the the top two I had in my head. I was like, okay, I can get through this. Uh, Ivy, I, I forever had him at four. Just like no matter what the order of the top three was, it was just Ivy at four, and he was slotted in. And then it was like AJ Griffin, Shaden Sharp, some some variation of those guys. And Ivy was four. But what I, when I watched him this last time, and I love watching Purdue. Matt Painter is one of my favorite coaches in college basketball. He runs beautiful sets. I felt like. I knew, I knew this watching them is that they ran through the post. They had Travion Williams. They had uh, Zach Eady. I thought about watching the NBA playoffs, what I've been watching when the teams jam up, like when the Bucks and Celtics play one another, they play such physical defense, but there's still so many open threes that the Celtics generate. I thought about, wow, what if Jaden Ivey had that type of spacing um, when he was at Purdue and what he'd look like? compared to what he looked like as still a second team all-american in college basketball and then i thought what if a, a nba franchise turned the keys over to him he improved his jump shot a little bit and his pick and roll game as a true point guard for the first time i think the team has to give him the keys as the point guard as opposed to the two guard because even at purdue he was the point guard but they had eric hunter they had a uh, uh, brandon newman they had other guys 
I felt I, I just saw this image of certain teams and the way he can attack, even in limited space, you see these flashes of just dynamic athleticism. And everyone see has seen this like side by side of him and jaw, but it's hard to ignore. And that's not a new th thought concept, but it's hard to ignore like, wow, look what jaws done in a few years in the NBA. Like what could Jade and Ivy do? And I feel like he, obviously I'm not saying he's going to be on jaws trajectory jaws, unbelievable, but I think there's a, a pathway you could compare him to what Dwayne Wade did early in his Miami career and be a little more sturdy than jaw, which is honestly my biggest concern about jaws career trajectory. And I, I see that pathway for Jaden Ivey to follow kind of those starred uh, uh, guys who are on the path to start him early in their career. Man, I have so much I want to talk to you about. Got to save this for one more segment and we're going to switch gears. We're going to talk about Jaden Ivey and fits and if, he can land in a situation that will allow him to be that point guard. Stay tuned. All right, before I get into another round of questions, let's talk about BetOnline because BetOnline is your number one source for all of your betting stats and sports info. You can find all the latest sports developments from league reviews, news, including the NBA playoffs, Major League Baseball, and a recap of the Kentucky Derby. BetOnline is your continued source for all of your sporting wagering information from live betting to playoffs, esports, and more. So head to the website today. Use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. And that is because BetOnline is where the game starts. All right, once again, it's Rafael Barlow. Got my guy Leaf who is breaking it down. He, I mean, he is breaking it down in, in layman's terms with, with this big board. So Jaden Ivey, all right, so you said you think that he needs to be in a situation where he is given the keys. Based off of, I mean, we're still days away from the lottery, but based off of the standings right now, is he going to land in that situation? I, I, find, I found one spot I think it's possible. Oh, I got to hear this. I think Indiana if, if they get rid of Malcolm Brogdon, who is my guy, I love Malcolm Brogdon, but they should want to move on from him and do a rebuild and put Brogdon on a contender. And then he would get the keys. He'd be a hometown kid. He grew up in South bend or very close to it. Attended La Lumiere, went to Purdue, comes to Indiana. That's, that's a pretty fitting one, but also makes sense from a basketball standpoint. I think they'd have some good spacing. They'd have some youth around him. Isaiah Jackson and Jaden Ivey would be a pretty unbelievable athletic tandem. Um, in some pick and rolls. And obviously they've got some more picks that they need to influence. I think the Rockets has potential, but I think they'd need to move on from Kevin Porter Jr. And I don't know how they would do that. And obviously you got to have Jade uh, Ivey and Jalen Green coexist. But the the Pacers is the only one where he, he would be handed the keys if they were to follow that recipe. So you think he'd be handed the keys over Halliburton? I think they would coexist. And, and I think... Halliburton can play with anybody ball. Yeah. Like he, he, that I should have, I should have mentioned him. Uh, the reason I said that he need to move Brogdon is because he's older. Yeah. Halliburton fits the um, fits that process of, okay, he's the scoring star in Ivy who gets the ball um, in a sense. Like it's almost, it sounds silly because I'm a jazz fan, but I, I think you bear with me. Um, Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley coexist. Who's the point guard in the playoffs. I think Donovan Mitchell handles the ball far more. I think that would be Jaden Ivey once they hit their stride and Halliburton would be the um, supporting cast. And I think he'd be a, I think he can be an all-star Halliburton, someone I really, really like, but I think you hand the keys to the franchise to Jaden Ivey. So this is where I have my difficulties about Halliburton. 
I wasn't as high on him as others, right? I wasn't one of the guys that loved Halliburton. I thought that he could fit next to anybody, right? And I thought the best situations for him coming into the draft at that time was I thought Phoenix was good for him. And this was before they had Chris Paul. I love that Uh, fit as well. uh, There was another team that I thought was a good fit for him. So my concern about Halliburton is on one hand, he can play next to anybody. But on the other hand, what would be the difference between Jaden Ivey and Halliburton than De'Aaron Fox and Halliburton? So it's kind of like a double-loaded question as, is there a clear-cut path for, for Jaden Ivey to be handed the keys? And then on the other hand is, like, what is the best fit for Halliburton as a backcourt mate? So kind of a tough question for you. I... I, you know, this is a good question. Like, like you phrased it, but um, I, I don't know if there's a clear path for Ivy to be handed the keys. This is the best one I could think of. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I really, I was one of those guys who really liked Albert and I had him number six uh, in that draft class. Uh, I, I think he, the, the beauty of his game is he can fit next to anyone, but there is no difference between De'Aaron Fox and Jaden Ivy. Obviously I, I, the way I'm billing, Ivy, I think he can be a better basketball player, but in terms of stylistic basketball, I think that is a very like-to-like comparison. If I'm Indiana and I get the five pick like they're projected, I would take Shaden Sharp and let Halliburton be the uh, be the guy. But that's that's a something for another another time. Um, but that that's just my two cents. Yeah, man, it's so many things to factor, and that is one of my concerns in a sense about ivy um i want to see him play in spacing which we didn't get a chance to in college basketball i would like to see him in a role as the primary which we didn't get a chance to see but then when i'm looking at the teams that are projected to go where he's going orlando they have too many cards houston if they decide like you know they want to play ivy as as their main guy as opposed to kevin porter jr on one hand, it kind of makes sense because I think that there's always going to be question marks about Kevin Porter Jr., right? And the questions are not going to be related to his talent. It's just, I mean, do you make a long-term investment in him, right? But then again, they got him for like a Snickers bar and, and a Sprite. So they didn't really give up a lot to get him. Then you look at the Thunder, Giddy and Gilgis Alexander, not the best fit ideally there. The Pacers would be a good fit. They'd have to move Brogdon. Um, But then again, of course, you know, like with the lottery, you never know what could happen. San Antonio, don't think that is a seamless fit also. So it it just kind of makes, puts him in like this weird predicament. Portland, same thing. Um, Not not an ideal fit there. Portland is projected. I mean, they could end up moving in the top three. So I don't know. It's tough. Do you have a another fit for for Ivy that you think could possibly work? Not really. I, I think Washington is a team I I would look at. Um, yeah, especially if Beal is gone. Yeah, um, that that's unlikely though. They're 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 projected tenth. So uh, that's that's the next one that I think is the most seamless. And obviously that that's still a big if for him to get the keys is if if they move on from Bradley Beal. So 
Uh, I agree with your, your point there. I just envisioned him in terms of a big board. You don't have to think about the, uh, and uh, the destination, but I do, I agree from a basketball standpoint and tactically your, your point in, of concern is, is very valid and, and likely will play a big part in where he does get selected. Check this out. I just did a sim lottery on Tankathon. And the Charlotte Hornets moved up 10 spots to the third pick. <laughs> what are your thoughts about Jaden Ivey in Charlotte? I, I think I think I would go I think the key the keys are in Lamelo's hands. So I think I would go with one of the other guys there. I would be intrigued though. I, I will say that. I, I'm a guards guy through and through. You, you'll see that reflection in my big board. We're only talking a couple of top guys, but I moved a lot of guards up from that I don't think I would have had there based off college basketball that I was like, oh, wow. You know, that that meme where it's like that boy, nice, like like that, yeah. that stuff like I was I was in that in that mode. I watched a lot of film and, and found a few guys. I was like, wow, I got to elevate them up my big board based on what I thought from a team standpoint of watching college basketball. All right, man, I just feel like we just don't have enough time here. So I'm looking at your big board. You have number one, Chet, number two, Paolo Bancaro, three, Jaden Ivey, four, Jabari. Matt, every time I say his name, I almost want to say Jabari Parker, <laughs> but Jabari Smith. You have five, Shaden Sharp, number six, A.J. Griffin, seven, Keegan Murray, eight, Benedict Matherin, nine, Jalen Duran, 10, Jaden Hardy. 11, Tari Eason, 12, Blake Wesley, 13, Ty Ty Washington. And then this is the last question I have for you. So at 14 and 15, you, you have the two boys from Baylor, Kendall Brown and Jeremy Sohan. You are one of the few people that still has Kendall Brown over Jeremy Sohan. The floor is yours. <laughs> I think this one is based on potential and he needs to find a good landing spot. I think Jeremy Sohan is a safer pick. I think Kendall Brown, if you look at recent drafts, who he reminds me of, he reminds me of Isaac Okoro. Isaac Okoro went five, and no one's really got too many qualms with that pick. Yes, there were players that could have been selected above him that have been better thus far, but no one really has complained about that pick too much. Or even, or even talks about it. Like He is like the least talked about top five pick in recent memory. Yeah, and I think I think he's even got a higher potential than Okoro because he's bigger and he's a he's a I, I don't want to say a better fit, like vertical athlete because Okoro explodes, but he's taller and he's longer. So I think he he has more like NBA functional athleticism due to his length. Um, my my I'm not saying that he's going top five based off that, but I think I have him at 14 on my board, like you were saying. What what I like about him is that. Baylor had a really good team and they had big expectations and they played a very egalitarian system and he never compromised that. So he knows his role as an NBA player. Same with Sohan. This is no knock on him. Um, but his swing skill is shooting. I think a lot of players get a lot better at shooting. My, my typical example is Herb Jones shot 7% from three as a junior at Alabama. Um, he shot 37% this year. I'm not certain about that, but somewhere up there and he was a huge success story. Um, why can't a guy who is four years younger, an absolute freak athlete, find a situation like that of what Herb Jones found and find success uh, worthy of a lottery pick? Because he's got all the lottery athleticism. He's got the, uh, the passing. He's unselfish. He doesn't need the ball. You put him in, you, you keep him out of all your offensive actions, and he gets points that are not drawn for him. And defensively, he's exactly what teams want. Like if my Utah Jazz had a Kendall Brown to defend on the perimeter, I would feel a lot differently. So maybe, maybe, that is, maybe, maybe, <laughs> that is, maybe that is tainting my perception. 
but that's a guy I remain pretty steadfast on him being um, successful in some capacity at the NBA level. Yeah. And I mean, I, th- I think his passing is very underrated. I think that's where he can really help a team as a, as, as a passer, but then on one hand, well, I, I should say as a ball mover, I feel like in order to be like a really effective playmaker and passer, then you have to be more, more of a scoring threat is, but as a ball mover, as a guy that can find cutters, I mean, I think the sky's the, the limit there. So Sohan, that's the last question. Why does Sohan fall out of your lottery? Like on, on right now, I'm starting to see him as a, a lottery pick on a lot of different boards. What makes him barely miss the cut for you? Yeah, I'm glad you put the barely in there because he, he's at 15. So so for people that are listening, he's not far off. He's not far off. Um, I just think that a lot of people are enamored enamored by the flashes and I watched more Baylor than just about anyone. And there are plenty of games where Sohan's presence is felt on rebounds and, uh, and a little like one or two pick and roll actions. And, and you watched him do that and you're like, Oh, that's great. But if you're taking a guy on the lottery and you're projecting him to be this like 0.5 that people are falling in love with and drooling over on Twitter, I, I think you got to see more of this production offensively. Um, defensively, I buy into Sohan. I think he's a really good like player, but I don't think he's a guy that's a talent that, that you fall in love with and say, well, defensively, he could be the anchor of our defense and offensively, he could be like Boris DL level passing. Um, to me, to me, that's not what I see from him. I see him as a very good rotational piece and someone who will be a plus defensively, not hurt you offensively, but uh, I'm not sure I see and I sound like a Sohan hater. I really like the guy. Um, but uh, I, I'm, I just don't I don't see him as this this offensive juggernaut and defensive stalwart um, that I think he's being labeled as. And, and, and it all makes sense. And, and one of the things that will I guess we'll find out in a couple of days is the order of the the, the lottery. And do you think by any chance your big board will change based off of the order? Uh, I don't think it'll change based off the order of picks. I think maybe if I were to do a mock draft, I would, I would choose different pieces for different teams. But I don't think my projections, I do think there are a couple moving pieces. I I need to watch more film on one of them being Tari Eason. I I, I go very back and forth on him. And I think I want to move Ty Ty Washington up Tari Eason slightly down. They're both, I think 11 and 13 respectively. And there are a couple guys that I've watched uh, even this afternoon before this episode that I'm, I'm kind of falling in love with. And that's uh, Bryce McGowan's and, and Jaden Harvey. I put uh, Hardy, I put Hardy at 10. So I don't know how much more I'm going to move him up, but McGowan's is going to scooch up my board a little bit. Man, I was hoping to see McGowan's in Las Vegas. He's working out at Impact. And then right when I got there earlier this week, he ended up going to New York. He has some workouts on the East Coast. So I, I, I missed him. But there's a chance I got some connections. There's a chance that I may be able to get him on on the podcast pretty soon. All right, man. Thank you so much for coming on. So we did not get a chance to really cover your your whole big board. So I want to um, leave it open for you if you want to finish it next week. Sometime next week, we can talk about your your big board and and just kind of go more into depth because your big board is it, it has some some players that that's a little bit different than the consensus, which is great. I mean, who wants to read a big board that is in, in line with, with everyone else? Most notably, um, you still have 
Patrick Baldwin Jr. and Usman Jang as first rounders. And uh, I definitely want to talk about that. But thanks again for checking out the NBA Big Board podcast. Thank you for making the NBA Big Board podcast your first listen of the day. Now for your second listen, check out the Locked On NBA podcast from the first jump ball of the playing tournament to the last possession of the finals. The Locked On experts take you deep inside the playoffs with insight and analysis that will be affecting all 30 teams. I am Rafael Barlow, and this was Leaf Tulane's Big Boy. We didn't get a chance to cover it. Spent a lot of time talking about Jabari Smith. I cannot wait to hear the feedback from Twitter. And because I mean, the people read it, but now you have a chance to thoroughly explain why you had them fourth. I can't wait to, to hear the feedback. Once again, I hope everyone has a great weekend. Next week is a big week. I'll be in Chicago at the NBA Combine. I should have some some pretty good some pretty good content coming there. Once again, it's Raphael, my guy Leaf Tuling, and we are out.